learn a lot from this psalm. But there's a major theme that we see, or a major thread that we see through this psalm, and, and that's that God won't forsake his people. God will not forsake his own. Uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless his word to our hearts and that we would be still for this moment and let God speak to us. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you, Father, and we thank you, Father, that you are our, our great shepherd. And you lead us by the still waters. No doubt, Lord God, you never leave us nor forsake us. As we read this psalm, I pray that you would minister to us effectively. Help me to convey the Bible truths applicably to your people today in the 21st century. Father, I just ask and pray that you would minister to us effectively. Help us not to in any way, Lord God, be distracted. Help us to be preparing our hearts. Help us prepare our hearts. Let the word of God fall on good ground, Lord. That we would not in any way squander the time that we're here or let the word of God spill over to the ground. But rather we would absorb, we would retain, receive, that we may live the words that we hear today. Father, help me. Give me wisdom to proclaim the truth of your word to the heart of your people for your glory, for their sake, and for the sake of those that don't know you and for the, for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the psalm of David. In this psalm, we see that David is actually encouraging the righteous to continue to trust the Lord in the midst of difficulty and trouble, hardship and persecution. There are several reasons why David takes the time to direct his encouragement to God's people in this psalm. And that's because there is so much discouragement taking place around the ones that are trying to live a godly and righteous life. Even in the days of David, when David was trying to live as a righteous king, there was always opposition. And as we live in this world, it seems like wickedness prospers and righteousness uh, simply is condemned. We're living in a day today where good is called evil and evil is called good. And when God's people are mistreated and ex experience injustice, the discouragement, it can be so overwhelming that the righteous or the believer or the child of God can feel fearful, fretful and forsaken. In this psalm, David speaks out of experience. When David wrote this psalm, he no longer was a child or in his youth. He was an older man. As a matter of fact, look at verse 25. He says, I have been young and now I am old. So we see David speaking out of experience. He has a lot of experience, not only with his enemies, but with God. And how God would deliver him from the hands of those that will pursue him. Notice how he begins this psalm. There's a twofold admonition given in the first verse. Have a look. He first says, fret not thyselves because of evildoers. Look at the second one. Neither thou, uh, he says, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. So first of all, he says, fret not. Here we have a word that means don't be worried or anxious. But also has uh, a definition that uh, means more than just that. It means don't come to the point of fretting where you are furious. Don't, that, don't, don't let that anxiety or that you know, fearfulness get the best of you to the very point now that you want revenge. That's what it's saying. Verse 8 will give us a little bit more of a definition. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret uh, not thyself in any wise to do what? Evil. Sometimes we can take matters into our own hands when we're fretful. We can begin to manipulate. Uh, we are not to behave ourselves that uh, resembles those that are against us or pursuing us. Uh, tit for tat never won any, any battles. Actually, as a matter of fact, you end up losing. Will McDonald says the danger is that we will lie in bed at night and rehearse the whole outrageous episode. First, we think of all that was said and did. Then we go over how we answered them. And then we wish we had thought of some choice, our other choice, 
uh, brickbats to hell at them. Uh, don't come to the point where you're fretting, where now you're actually contemplating how you're going to get back to the, the, to the very people that, you're, that are actually pursuing you. That's what he's saying. Verse 1, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Envy not. Don't envy those that are pursuing you. This command only proves that as believers we are susceptible and we have a strong tendency to be able to look at those that are living carelessly in, the life, in their life without the Lord and His commands and getting away with murder, so to speak. And so, well, you know, they're getting away with uh, wrongdoing and evil doing. They're not being punished for what they're doing. Asaph lost his focus. He confessed his downfall because he saw the prosperity of the wicked. But later on he realized their end and he realized that it... It's not going to last long. When you start living uh, a life that is outrageous, a life that doesn't resemble righteousness, uh, you're going to come to find out that it's short-lived. You won't prosper in its, two, in its true sense. Notice the names given to the oppressors. Verse 1, because of evildoers, workers of iniquity. In this psalm, David vividly points out the character of those that are pursuing him. Their evil works, their sinful works. Allow me to point out their uh, behavior for two reasons. First of all, and this is by the way of introduction. First of all, for a witness, for a testimony. Do not, you do not, for your, the life of you, want to resemble or exhibit or pattern your life after the flesh or after the workers of iniquity. Not in any way, shape or form. It is very evident by looking in scripture that the believer is more than capable in walking in the flesh and resembling the works of the flesh. And in any believer walking in the flesh, I'll tell you right now, it is a miserable walk. You can get your way, you can make things work, but I guarantee you, you will not prosper. Verse 8, he says, cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise, what? To do what? Why is he saying that? Because you and I have the capability to do evil. We can still walk in the flesh and quench the Spirit of God in our lives, even as New Testament saints. John Philip said, three times we are told not to fret. Three times we are told not to be envious of the wicked. We are not to be occupied with them at all. We might, starting, we might start wanting to be like them. And that's not a good attribute to follow, amen? Not only for witness, but number two, for a warning. Time and time again throughout Scripture... Jesus, the prophets, the apostles give the children of God warning and they say, beware, 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 beware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the... Why? Because it's a warning to us. Evil communication corrupts good manners. And uh, uh, the people that we live in the last times that profess Christ, the Bible says this, they have a form of godliness, but from such turn away. From such turn away. Avoid them. We look at their character and we don't want to uh, not only so, I don't want to be like this, as a, you know, I don't want to have this testimony, but also we, we want to come to the very point of our lives, so we don't want to associate with this kind of behavior, with this corruptness that's taking place. I don't want to involve myself with something that is ungodly, not sober. So what kind of wicked behavior do we see in the life of those that are pursuing David? Well, number one, they plot and plan the downfall of the just. Have a look at verse 12. They exhibit guile and malice. And by the way, two things the Apostle Peter tells us as Christians to lay aside. Have a look. Verse 12, the wicked plotteth against the who? The just. And gnasheth upon him with his teeth. Does that happen to you? Because the Bible says those that live godly shall suffer persecution. You suffer from persecution because you're trying to live justly and righteously and soberly in this present world? Are the wicked pursuing you? Well, over here, the Bible says that the, they pursue the just, the wicked plot. They devise and plan evil against the just. They gather themselves together to bait and trap those that are trying to please God by faith. The just are, are those that are justified by God, but also those that are simply walking in the righteous ways of God, those that fear God. True believers walk uprightly. I mean, we see this happen to David several times. King Saul, his son Absalom, David's trusted men pursue after David. Joseph's brothers pursued and plot and planned against him, sold him into slavery. His own brother, 
Not only that, we see also the religious rulers assembled together to see how they would capture and crucify Jesus Christ. The Bible says they consulted together that they may take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But not only plot and plan, but notice another characteristic. They persecute the upright. They desire to see their lives destroyed. Look at verse 14 and 15. In other words, they're merciless. The wicked have drawn out the sword. They have bent their bow to cast down the poor needy and to slay such as to be as upright in conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. So over here we have a sword and an arrow that are used here. In the, in the Old Testament times, we see that they did uh, physically war against their enemies and so forth, but they'll turn against those that are fighting with. There was so much backstabbing in the days of David, so much. I mean, we look at it from outside and we think, how could these people absolutely be two-faced, plot and plan and persecute those that they're trying to work with? It's unbelievable, but it happened in the days of David. It happens in our day today. By the way, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 18, a man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maw, a sword, and a sharp arrow. You know, this is applicable in our, and by one of the greatest swords the Bible speaks about, and that is the tongue. Man, it can do so much damage. Man, it's just a little member in our bodies, but yet it is a sharp sword that can do damage. It can slice it can ruin people's reputation. The Bible says a false witness against his neighbor is a maw. It's like a sledgehammer breaking someone's testimony. A sword it pierces. It does damage. It kills. And it's a sharp arrow. And it actually, you can actually you know, get that person from a distance. You don't have to be around that person. You don't have to fellowship with that person. Someone can just do it from a distance and just really cause havoc. As a matter of fact, we see it take place in the life of David. But not only in the life of David, but in the life of Naboth. Remember Naboth? Naboth would not give his property or his land or his vineyard to King Ahab. And then King Ahab went away and cried like a little baby. He cried like a little baby, couldn't eat. Because he couldn't get Naboth, the righteous man's property. And then what ended up happening? His wife sees him crying like a baby. What's wrong? And then she takes matters in her own hands, sets up prominent men, mind you, Prominent men to set up false witnesses against Naboth to accuse him of blasphemy. You know what that ended up? His life was taken. You say, how did something like that, how did God allow something like that to take place in a man that was innocent? Well, according to the Bible, we know that Naboth, a righteous man, to, abs to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, there's no loss in Naboth's life, but who's losing? And we're going to see in a moment that Ahab and his wife were dealt with severely by God. But we see this take place very uh, consistently throughout Scripture. What about Cain and Abel? Remember that time? Abel offers a sacrifice to, to God and then Cain, his brother, was envious, killed him. Well, the Bible says here that they pursue those that are upright in conversation. That's interesting. What's that mean? One that walks upright. One that has no corruption in every area in their walk and talk. And by the way, in the little areas of their life, they're worried about those little things that perhaps bother their walk. That's upright in conversation in every area or manner of life. There are people, when they see you walking uprightly, hate sin in your own life, hate sin in the life of others, hate sin in the church, hate sin in family, and you point it out, you live righteous, uh, they don't like it. They try to trip you up or try to find something. Why? Because they're intimidated. Why? Because they're envious. Why? Because they don't want to walk upright and you expose them. Walking upright is simply being walking in a way that's not crooked or corrupted. Have you ever had a little pebble in your shoe? Sometimes that little pebble can be so annoying that you start walking with a limp. What do you normally do? You try to get it up. It's still there. Somehow it gets back into the place where you're stepping on and then eventually you just take your shoe off and you just... Right? You do that and you put your shoe back in and, oh man, now you can walk upright again. Well, even those little things in your life, get rid of them. 
And you know what? If people point them out in your life, hey, it's good. Look at it. Say, you know what? I need to fix this up so I can be more upright. Because a lot of people like to focus on the secret sins, the blind spots of your life, rather than helping you. They like to condemn you. Well, just take it. Someone once said, treat unrighteous criticism like bubble gum. Chew on it and then spit it out. Amen? Don't let it affect your walk with God. Continue to walk uprightly and continue to walk righteously and, and the life that resembles that of someone that loves God and hates sin. The enemy cannot stand God's people walking in a way that pleases him. They somehow feel a comfort when you stumble. Is that how you feel when people stumble? A comfort because you want to look down at them and see that you're better than them or you want to come and help them up. So brother, get right. Praise God. The Bible talks about a spiritual man helps those ones that stumble with meekness, taking heed lest you stumble. Amen? But we see that uh, David in verse 15 talks about their sword shall enter into their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. You know what's the world connotation when we look at this verse? The world's connotation or proverb is this. What goes around comes around. The Bible talks about whatever you sow you shall reap. Oh, we can look at it like this. God's righteous judgment. God's going to deal with people that deal with other people in a very unjust manner. This is an area that every person must be sober in. Why? Because the Bible says, God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that he shall also reap. God will not be mocked. Notice verse 32. Have a look. The wicked watcheth, watcheth the righteous and seeketh to what? What's that word? Slay him. Wow. So they have an eye on you, they watch you, they watch the righteous. What a terrible thing to live a life where you're just watching people so they can stumble, so you can get at them and kill them. Isn't what the three, uh, you know, uh, so-called executives of the day of uh, Daniel wanted to do with Daniel? They saw Daniel, a righteous man, praying to God, consistently favored by the king, said, how can we get to Daniel? How can we get to Daniel? How can we destroy him? Well, they started watching him. And they wanted to trip him up. And they had an unlawful decree so they can get at him. But thank God for our advocate. Have a look at verse 20, 33. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is what? Judge. Thank God that God is able to stop the mouths of the lion when it's not the will of God for Daniel to die in that day. There's a, day, there's a day of death. There's a day of death for every single one of us. But every single one of us ought to die in the timing of our Lord Jesus Christ when he, you know, says, time's up, time's up. Can you imagine you die a premature death? There are so many people that would like to see you die a premature death. But thank God that there's a day appointed for the righteous. And you know what? That day, the Bible talks about in the book of Psalms, that how precious, how precious is the death of his saints in the sight of God. What a beautiful thing to be able to die for righteousness and for the cause of Christ. Amen. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. William MacDonald says the wicked watches for an opportunity to pounce on the innocent and destroy him. But the Lord will never abandon the innocent to the power of the foe, nor allow him to be declared, declared guilty if a case against him comes a trial. God is the guardian and the advocate of all his own people. Praise God for that. But notice the Lord's reaction to such behavior to those people that are unjust. Notice this. This will intrigue you. Look at verse 13. The Lord shall laugh at him for he seeth that his what? His day's coming. You know what the Bible says? He's going to have his day in court. That's what the Bible says. Why does the Lord laugh? Why does the Lord laugh at those people that pursue the just or the innocent or the righteous? Why does God look down at those that are getting away, so to speak, with, with uh, unjust behavior? Why does he laugh at them? Because once they finish their pursuing 
and they think that they have prospered, God will stand back and laugh at them because what they don't realize is that their day is coming. You say, what do you mean? They think they're getting away with it. You think God doesn't see the heart of man, how deceitful men are? And they're plotting and planning and watching. Don't you think God sees all that? Although other, other people may not see that, God is seeing that. And while this is all transpiring and taking place, God looks down and laughs at them because their day is coming when they stand before the righteous judge. Shall not the righteous judge, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He will. He's going to balance the books. He's going to, you know... Just really, the reckoning, he's going to calculate correctly and he's going to deal with every man accordingly. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work. Every idle work, every idle word, God will note down. You say, well, I'm under the blood. Being under the blood doesn't mean that we continue to go and sin because we've been freed from it. Because God still knows how to chasten his own children, amen? He still knows how to deal with them, and he does. May God help us from such behavior, but he laughs at them. Why? Because they think they're going to get away with it. It's like some of these people that rob a bank, commit murder, time relapses, 20 years is gone, all of a sudden, they get a knock on the door. Lo and behold, for technology, DNA. Wow! They didn't think that technology will catch up with them, did they? No. But notice the Lord's reaction. He would laugh at them. But they will have their day in the, not the Supreme Court, but God's holy court in heaven. God will declare it, everything done. We get a glimpse of God's justice in the book of Esther. When we see Haman being hanged upon the gallows, he had prepared for Mordecai. Did you know that? We have a wicked man preparing and plotting against Haman, uh, against Mordecai, and Haman ends up on the gallows in which he prepared for Mordecai. Notice the other verses that pertain to the destruction of evildoers. Look at verses 1 and 2. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be what? Cut down like the grass. Wither as the green herb. You know, John Phillips said, in the end, the evil man's harvest is not something to be envied. He is to be pitied for his little day does not last very long. Can you please come and sit over here, sweetheart? What ended up happening to King Saul? What ended up happening to King Saul? Committed suicide, didn't he? Why ended up happening to Absalom? Why ended up happening to Ahab? Look at verse 10. Psalm 37. For a little while, and the wicked should not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Look at verse 35 and verse 36. I have seen the wicked in what? Great power. And spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away. And lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Where is he? It's gone. 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 Finished. Their days short-lived. But notice the contrast between the wicked and the righteous. I want you to see this here. I want you to see, number one, the righteous have true prosperity compared to the wicked. I want you to see verse 16. Look at this. A little that a righteous man have is better than the riches of many wicked. Wow. Physical riches are not a sign of true prosperity, by the way. Amen? Uh, there's nothing wrong with riches. Uh, there's nothing wrong with money. The Bible talks about the love of the money is the root of all evil. However, true prosperity True riches and possessions is not a sign of spirituality. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 17, Better is a dinner of herbs, where love is, than a stored ox and hatred therewith. You can have little and there's love, and you can have abundance and there's hatred. There's no peace and there's no rest. By the way, let me just say this. Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, he lost his family, 
He lost possessions. He lost his brothers. He lost Benjamin. And the Bible talks about in Genesis chapter 39 that he was a prosperous man. Hang on a minute. He's in the house of the Egyptians and he's in the house of Pharaoh and he's a prosperous man. Well, the Bible says, if you read it very carefully, because the Lord was with him. You don't have to have a dime in your account, but if you have the Lord, you're rich. But you know what? Some people think that money and prosperity and the, and the treasures of the wicked is the very thing that they need to have joy. It's not true. The joy of the Lord is my tr strength. And so if you die or, if, you know, because you've served the Lord, or if you're in prison because of the Lord uh, and you're, you're, you're eating prison food, that's okay. Oh, yeah, but the, the people that are just simply persecuted me, they're laughing at me. I'm in prison and they're eating a big fat steak. Yeah. Better is herbs. Where love is. Praise God for that. Number two, the righteous have true power. True power. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth who? The righteous. The wicked trust in the arm of the flesh, but the righteous trust in the infinite power of God. You know, King Hezekiah was pursued by Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. When Sennacherib invaded Judah, Hezekiah responded in several ways. He cut off the water supply outside the city. He's rebuilt the city walls and he set some men in order, in order to fight against him. But there was... If you look at the army of the Assyrians, they were mighty. And I want you to turn there just quickly, for the sake of time, I'll just quickly go through this, but go to Second Chronicles, I want you to see what he said to these men that were ready to fight. We can only do what we can, but God does the rest. The righteous have true power. Second Chronicles 32. And look at verse 7. Notice how he encourages these people that were getting ready to fight. Although the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, had a mighty army. Notice what he said. He wasn't intimidated. Why? He says, be strong in verse 7 and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us, to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He says, there be more with us than with them. We have more power because the Lord is with us. It's what Elisha said when he was also pursued by a Syrian king. They said it was perhaps Ben-Hadad. And uh, Elisha had a servant with him. And the servant just saw the army of the enemy and he says, do you see? Do you see how big they are? You see who's coming against us? And Elisha said the same thing. There's more with us than with them. And he was probably confused at this moment. So the Bible says Elisha prayed. And he prayed that he'd open up the eyes of the servant. Go there, I want you to see it in 2 Kings. Have a look at 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6, actually look at verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Now, don't you see all this? How shall we do? And look at verse 16. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. There was a host of angels guarding the prophet and the servant. And by the way, the angel of the Lord came and smote not only in that day, but also in the day of Hezekiah and finished them. The angel of the Lord took care of them. And did you know if God were to show you the spiritual realm today, you would see that there is an army fighting against the evil forces of darkness that are in spiritual uh, places, uh, those places that we cannot see, those invisible things. If God were to show you, I don't think that you'd be able to handle it. 
The reason why we are able to meet like we're meeting here today is because God is fighting for us. You say, okay, if we're captured and put in prison for meeting, what's that mean? It means we're being persecuted for righteousness sake. It doesn't mean God has forsaken us. It means the reality of the Christian life. And there are, it doesn't mean God's lost because we understand who wins right at the end when Jesus comes and sets things in order. But what I'm trying to say is that there's nothing hidden from God. God could take, I mean, this is easy for God. This battle that we see taking place today is, is, is nothing. But God is waiting for a proper time to deal with all these nations that are ungodly, that are going against his own people. God's going to reckon it. God's going to deal with it. God's going to take care of it. What are we supposed to do? Be faithful? Because there's still this true power with God. There's, there's infinite power with God. And when God is able to... to uh, he is able, but when God is ready... Uh, to execute judgment on them that know not God, he'll do it. And there's a time that he's appointed to do that. We just need to be patient. By the way, this is the whole point of the psalm. David's saying, fret not because of evildoers. It's the whole point. We read about our enemies, a lot about our enemies. Those that want to try to live according to the will of God and for the glory of God, fret not because people are prospering in the way and getting away with certain things that take place against the righteous there's still power uh, uh true power with god infinite power with god number three the righteous have true provision and protection go back to psalm 37 look at verse 18 the lord knoweth the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be for what forever reminds me of what peter said regarding what we have in christ an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you what we have in Christ is far greater riches than what we see here on earth. What we lose for living righteous and what we lose for the glory of God and living for Christ far outweighs what we have here on earth. Don't store up here treasures on earth where moths can eat at and rust can get at and the thief can steal. No, no, no. Store, store up treasures in heaven. Don't worry about the here and now. People are just trying to hoard things, preserve life. For what, for what avail? can't take it with you have enough to survive to serve God true riches are in Christ the righteous have eternal inheritance the Bible is very clear in Psalm 19 they shall be not ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied you know God is more than able to take care of his own children in times of trouble God is able to feed a prophet in a famine by a bird and by a widow by a bird and widow I mean, what seems to be so feeble, feeble creatures, a bird and a widow, and by the way, that God takes care of himself. God uses that to supply the need of a prophet. Well, we see that in 2 Kings. We see that very, oh, sorry, 1 Kings, that a bird was, a raven was sent by God to feed Elijah. And not only this, but then later on sent to a widow's house. She had a little cake. And, uh, and fed the prophet. And from that day forward, there was oil in the cruise that never ran out. God was able to even feed a widowed woman in the day of famine. God is able to take care of his own. Have a look at verse 20. But the wicked shall perish. The enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. They shall consume away gone with the wind we just have to look at uh what happened to king ahab when he uh simply rejected the counsel of micaiah what happened to king ahab he died in battle gone finished what happened to jezebel pushed out the window by eunuch and fell and died what happened what's happening to these people were they dying in the will of god for the cause of christ no they they died a shameful death now, in this psalm, we also see the Lord's responsibility and our responsibility. Let's begin again from verse 1, work ourselves uh, down through the verses. Notice our responsibility and the, and the Lord's responsibility. Verse 1, fret not. Look at verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So shall thou dwell in the land and verily, look at this, thou shalt be fed. What's our responsibility? Trust the Lord, do good. What's God's responsibility? Take care of us. 
4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. That's our responsibility. And he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. That's God's responsibility. You know, our happiness, someone said, does not rest upon what happens. It does not rest upon our circumstances. Okay, our delight ought to be in who? The Lord. And the Lord shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Look at verse 5. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Our responsibility. Trust also in him. And look at this. He shall bring it to pass. The word commit, someone said, is an interesting one, which means to roll over. In other words, roll over your burdens to the Lord. Trust him. And no matter what takes place, he'll bring it to pass. Whatever you go through, because you live righteously for the Lord, whatever, it's going to come to pass. It will come to pass. It may not happen in this life, but it's sure going to happen in the next life. You know, the resurrection is the greatest thing that we as Christians hope for. Because the resurrection means that Jesus is coming again and he's going to receive us unto himself. It's called the blessed hope because we get to see Jesus and be with him. Here's our blessed hope, amen? Verse 6. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. You know, God will bring all things out in the open. The light of God's people's testimony will expose the darkness, the righteous life of God's people. He'll bring it forth. Look at verse 7. Rest in the Lord. That's our responsibility. Wait patiently for him. Fret not because of him who prospereth in the way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Rest means to be still. Be silent. Listen, brethren, there's a time that we need to just be silent and leave things in the hand of God. We've done what we can. The horse is prepared in the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. There needs to be a time where we, we, we have to reply Psalm 46.10 and say, be still and know that I am God. Things were all continue to take place the opposition will continue to come and there's always going to be opposition if you're moving forward if the gospel is preached there's always going to be opposition if the word of God's going to be thundering out there's always going to be opposition and there are times to speak and stand there and there are times to be silent and wait on the Lord we must give room for the Lord to work amen look at verse 25 in verse 25, we find God's wonderful promises to David, and this is a testimony to us. Look at this. I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, look at this, nor his seed begging for bread, or begging bread. You know, twice David was a fugitive running away. Twice we see him flee for his life. One from King Saul, who he served and loved, and the second from his own son. And what we see during that time is we may th think or assume, oh no, David's been forsaken, David doesn't have anything to eat or drink, he said only if I can have a cup of water. And by the way, he had some mighty man of valor that went and got him some water, and then all of a sudden he tipped it over, and it spilt, and he wasted it. That's another sermon for another day. But we see that it could be that David was forsaken, not taken care of, but as he, you know, got older and looked back and saw God's hand, he realized that I haven't lacked, nor have my seed ever been begging for bread. It's a testimony. Man of God said he had never seen the righteous abandoned by God, and yet, and any temporary, he says, any temporary shifts of fortune had all been part of the wise discipline of God to make of him a true man of God. God, Lord giveth, the Lord takes away. Okay, well, the Lord's doing something special. The Lord's working on, on him. And, he, and there's no doubt the Lord was working on him. Perhaps at this time, David perhaps would have had the book of Job. God still takes care of those that have been buffeted, persecuted, and pursued. Paul the Apostle says we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. 
Let me just say this to you, no matter who you are, what you're doing, if you are a child of God and you are righteous and you are walking in the ways of the word and the Lord, doing the will of God, listen to me very carefully, God will never forsake you. Never. Ever will he forsake you. Paul said to the church at Philippi, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. God is able to fill in the gaps. Better is a dry morsel where love is. Even if you eat scraps, amen, yet you have the love of God shed abroad in your heart because you're doing the will of God. You can be outside of God's will doing your own thing and have a banquet. You'll be so miserable. But if you're in the will of God, by the way, if you've fasted for quite some time and, uh, and, 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 and you know, you're, you're not ready to break your fast, but you see people leaving the crust on their plate, you're thinking, what are you doing? That's good food. If I was ever homeless, I would go to a pizza parlor and strike a deal with the pizza man uh, that owns the business and say, if, leave me the crust. Don't throw them in the bin and I'll collect them every day. Amen. If I was ever homeless, I'll do that. What's wrong with a dry morsel? But we've been so spoiled. What's wrong with the manna? Oh, we want the garlic and the leeks and the melons and, you know, I can't handle where God is leading me. Where's he leading you? To Canaan? A land of plenty? Christian, where is he leading you? To be with him in glory? To see at the be seated at the great supper of the Lamb. Set your affections on things above. A lot of Christians are so earthbound they can't see. They're worried about the here and now. But whatever you do for the glory of God and for the will of, in the will of God, God will take care of you and your children. I had one man that was in our church say to me, listen, about when, you know, whether we should continue or not continue. And he put it in my heart and brain. He says, you can't afford to go in prison. What about your family? What about your kids? What about your wife? <sighs> Temptation. Isn't it? But don't I have a God that knows how to take care of the widow and the fatherless? Yes, I trust that God can, one way or another. Especially, I want you to see this. I want you to see this very clearly in our scripture. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the who? The righteous forsaken. So that begs the question, what makes a righteous person? Number one, we see it in our text. The righteous are, have a holy walk According to the word of God. Look at verse 30. The mouth of who? The righteous speak wisdom and his tongue talketh of what? Judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall what? Slight. The righteous are those that have God's word in, our, in their heart and they walk according to the word of God. They have a holy walk. They endued with wisdom. Adam Clark said, foolish and corrupt conversation cannot come out of their mouth. They are taught of God and they speak according to the wisdom that is from above. They have a holy walk, endued with wisdom. Number two, the righteous are merciful and show compassion to others. Look at verse 21. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Look at verse 26. He is ever merciful and lendeth. And his seed is blessed. You know what John the Apostle says in 1 John 3, But whosoever have the world's good and seeth brother in need, shutteth his bowel of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by the way, someone that is in need, listen to me very carefully, is someone that is living according to the will of God and they are losing things because of the will of God. The Bible says when you take care of a widow, she has to be a widow indeed. You look it up in the epistles. And a widow indeed served the saints. Those that are in need are those that are in living in the will of God. Those that are living according to God's word. How can you see someone suffer for righteousness sake and not 
be able to help that person that's living for the glory of God. They're merciful. They're compassionate. And by the way, David had many of men. Jonathan was one of them. Although his father was, a, uh, was his, his own dad, Jonathan was a man that looked after David because he was a friend. Have a number three. The righteous have a close walk with God. Look at verse 23. The steps of a who? Good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Are, you ordered, are, you, are your steps ordered by God? Are you very careful to make decisions based upon God's direction? The Bible says, and he delighteth in his way. God delights in that person that trusts God's ways and will. And you also delight in the very way that God is leading you. Though it might be tough and hard and troublesome. There's no safer place than to have a walk that is ordered by God. And uh, someone once said, God doesn't only order our steps, he orders, he orders our stops. Aren't you glad when God intervenes because he's gracious and says, no, don't, don't take that route. And you see it and you're thinking, but that's a pretty good route. And God makes it very clear, don't open that door, don't walk through. Why? Because he's actually trying to protect you from trouble on the other end. Sometimes we go through doors that we think is better than God's ways because it's a, a, a door of opportunity. But God's ways is best. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy what? Paths. Look at verse 24. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord uphold him with his hand, aren't you glad that when you fall, God is not done with you? Thank God for that. I thank God that I have a God that is gracious and forgiving. And that when you fall and you humble yourself, God will give you grace. And when you do something wrong, God will point it out to you and gives you opportunity to repent. And when you fall and you're down, he says, get up, son, and go. You know, the devil wants you to, wants to see you fall and stay down. And when you fall and stay down, this is the devil. He wants to kick you while you're down. There's no room for grace. There's no room for restoration. But you know what the Lord does? He wants to get you up. Humble yourself before God. And he will lift you up by his grace. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those that are broken. And a contrite heart. David knew what it meant to have a broken and contrite heart after he sinned. And God restored him. Did, God, did he lose some things? He did. But God wasn't done with David. God wasn't done with David so much so that he had a desire in his heart to build a temple. And God said to David, David, you're a man of war. You're not going to build it, but your son will build it. You know, David was happy with the will of God. He didn't kick or buck. He surrendered to the will of God. But you know what David did? You read it. Even after his death, when King Solomon dedicated the temple to God, we see and read in the scripture that David had given a dedication of gold and silver, though he wasn't there, to the dedication of the temple. Wow. You know what God said? God said, although, David, you won't go in to build the temple, the desire in your heart was good. <laughs> Praise God for that. Praise God for righteous people that walk according to God's ways. Amen. But also... The righteous obey the word of God. Notice, have a look at verse 27. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Look at this, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his word. Way. That, that's our responsibility. This is repeated over and over again. The righteous obey God's word. Keep his way. Wait. Hey, listen. Don't be deterred. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added on you. Number five. The righteous are not proud. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and he shall delight himself themselves in the abundance of peace. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes this verse, by the way. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this talks about, uh, you know, uh, the biblical concept of the coming rule and reign of Christ. 
there's a millennial kingdom that's going to come and if we are faithful, we'll rule and reign with him. The meek will inherit the earth, and rule and reign with Christ. But the meek are those that see their sin for what it is. They're humble, they're poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, goes on to say. Uh, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those that are broken, those that are mourned, those that are meek. In the beatitude, Jesus deals with this. They're not prideful. They're humbled. Uh, John Phillips said the ungodly man's pride pride themselves uh, on his cleverness and cunning, but he's a fool. The righteous man draws from the well of wisdom, which has its unfailing spring in the omniscience of God. They know how to depend upon God's wisdom. They're meek. However, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They think they're smarter than God. And there's a price to pray when you think you're smarter than God and you're smarter than this book and you're smarter than the ways of God. The meek come under God's ways. Look at look, number six, the righteous are mature. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, we're almost finished. Look at this. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is what? Peace. Listen, you can have the position of righteousness in Christ that's one thing. Because we, by faith, have the imputed righteousness of Christ upon us. But it's certainly another thing to walk in the way in which we profess to have. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, perfect, mature, complete, unto all good works. Mark that man and that man's end is peace. Jesus said, peace I have with you. He says, sorry, peace I, live, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let you, not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Today they're speaking about peace, but it's false peace. I'm all for uni uh, Unity. I hate division. I mean, I can't stand it. If anything, I cannot stand that though. I cannot stand. I hate trouble makers that cause trouble in the church. I hate because God hates it. I hate it. Devil's a troublemaker. And he causes and uses people to cause trouble. But I also hate false unity. False peace. Because that's also the devil's instigator of false peace. Mark that perfect man, complete. That spiritual man that judges all things. That man that is endued by the wisdom of God and is able to balance things according to the word of God. Not moved by emotions. Not moved by uh, you know, sloppy kind of love. I'm sick of sloppy love. I want to preach a message because let, let, let love be without dissimulation. You know what that means? That means there's love that is pure and not tainted by hypocrisy. You know what love without dissimulation means? It means don't have love that is hypocritical. So you say you can have love that's hypocritical? Yeah. You can say to someone, I love you, but they don't show it. They don't demonstrate it. God demonstrated his love more than he said it. The, the scriptures say it all over the place. God for God so loved the world. You know, if I have loved you with everlasting love, but he proved it. And he proved it by the way he demonstrated his king attributes. What are they? Compassion and His holiness. Mercy and truth. May God help us to be perfect in this area. Mark that man in his perfect. I tell you what, because you can be a political preacher behind this pulpit and win votes all you want, but I guarantee you'll be most miserable at the end of the day. I don't want to be a political, political preacher. I do not want to win votes, nor do I want to win amens. Nor do I want people to come to my side, but God's side and the truth of God's word, applying God's word where it needs to be applied and how it needs to be applied and rightly dividing the word of truth so we're not erring from one side to another side. And the worst thing is, and what, what seriously breaks my heart, is to see people side with those that are abs the persecuted. See brethren side with those people that are fornicators 
and persecuting the pastor that's trying to help them. That's, that's shameful, brethren. That is absolutely mockery to side with people that have been on church discipline against the pastor that's trying to help them restore and recovered. That's not a perfect man. That's not a mature and complete man in all the wisdom of God's word. You need to be upright, perfect, righteous, the saint. I want you to see, I want you to see this. <clears throat> Look at verse 28. For the Lord loveth what? Judgment. And forsaketh not his who? Saints. They are preserved for how long? Forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be what? Cut off. So we not only have a God that is a loving God, but we have a God that is a holy God. And the perfect man wants to emulate and follow after the attributes of God. He wants to be like God in these areas. Complete. It's perfect. Mature. He's not erring from one side to another side. He, by and, the help, by and with the help of the Holy Spirit, wants to have this balance that only God can give perfect in a perfect way. We are being perfected, though we may not be perfect. And the upright may be pursued and persecuted, but at the end of that man, listen, he's going to be with the Prince of Peace. The righteous man have his feet firmly planted on the rock. Those that hear the word and do not live out the word of God have their feet planted on shifting sand. And I want you to see lastly, I think this is an important one, and we're done. The righteous trust in the Lord. Look at verse 39 and 40. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them. And deliver them. And he shall deliver them from who? The wicked. And save them. Because they trust in him. The salvation is not talking about being saved from sin. David was a man after God's own heart. By faith he believed God. But rather he was being delivered by his enemies. Many a times you see David in the Psalms saying, Lord, let me not be ashamed because of my enemies. Because the enemies want to shame him. And there was times where David was sick, down and out. In a human eye, you would have think God has deserted him. God has forsaken him. He is finished with him. The enemy is, yep, he's done. But no. David, even in his lowest point, trusted the Lord. And God was able to raise him up. And he did. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And is a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. Not just casually or they stumble over God. Brethren, don't stumble over your Bible. Don't read your Bible like, oh, what shall I read today? You know, there. You don't want to do that. You want to have sweet communion with God and know His Word. You want to study His Word. You want to hear His Word. You want to live out His Word. Don't hit and miss. You want to diligently seek God's heart and will. Don't be unwise, but know what the will of the Lord is. And live it. Live it. Know what you need to do and do it. Spend time diligently seeking the face of God and the heart of God on how he wants us to live in the 21st century under a government that is ungodly. We're not going to stumble over it. We're much prayer and much seeking, much fasting, much studying and, 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 and obeying. And God is, 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 will reward you. Whoa, 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 money, come on, please. With the peace of God, the grace of God in that hour where you're persecuted because you just want to live as a Christian. You just want to please God. And some things are taking place. You find yourself perhaps in a four by four and that's when it hits and God's peace will be upon you. 
Hebrews 13, go there quickly. I want you to see. Hebrews 13, look at verse 5. Let your conversation, your lifestyle, your manner of life be without what? Covetousness. Listen, don't envy the sinner. Don't envy the life of those that are not saved and those that are carnal and those that are professing Christians. Yeah, you think, though, you think, okay, come on, you tell me which person envies the lives of Paul, the life of Job, the life of Christ, those people that are, were absolutely pursued, mistreated, accused, which person envies uh, the life of John the Baptist? You say, oh, if, I've got to live a miserable life as a Christian. No, it's not a miserable life. It's a life of grace. A life of faith, a life of truth, and yes, a life of persecution. And so when we look outside like Asaph did and we see people living without the Lord, prospering, we ought not to envy them. We ought not to say, oh man, we should have done this and should have done that and should have done this and should have done that and probably this wouldn't happen to us. No, you should continue to do what God wants you to do. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And look at this, and be content with such things that ye have. For he hath said, and I believe we can get it, that one of our passages was the ending of Psalm 37. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. For he hath said. So not only the Old Testament writer is writing this, but the New Testament, New Testament writer knows this. That God will never leave you. You mean everything's going well. Everything's smooth sailing. What do you need? You tell me, brethren, what do you need? You got your car, your job, your house, you got your food, you open the fridge, it's packed. But one day that fridge might be empty. And one day perhaps that bank account may be empty. And one day people may just leave you. What do you have? At this time we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper and what will, I will not fear what man shall do to me. This may not be a reality now, but one day it will be. And you need to quote that and understand that. There's a day coming and it's coming and it's coming quickly. I'm telling you now. You can either, you know, say, I'm going to stop being a Christian. I'm going to stop being a Christian. You wouldn't say that with your lips. You won't say that. With, no, no Christian will say, I just want to stop being a Christian. But you don't have to say that. You just have to stop living like a Christian. By taking heed to the pressures of those that are ungodly, pursuing us for living as Christians in this world. The fight is against principalities and powers and the ruler of darkness that are against God and his people. All these people that we see losing their freedoms and, and, and their jobs and all this is, is they're just in the crossfire. The fight is against God's people. It's always been against God's people. Read Genesis to Revelation. It's always been against God's people. But you know what? God's people are blending with the crowd. So you can't even tell the difference. They're not lighting like they should. They're not tasting. They're not salty like they should. They're not, they're not, there's nothing different. I mean, how is their saltiness going to preserve me or rub off on me and impact me? It can't because it's good for nothing. Why? Because they're not living like they should. The government tells them don't sing and they don't, they don't sing. The, the government tells them stop going to church and worshipping, so they stop. Yeah. The government says you can't go out and pass out a gospel track or witness, but you can go for a run, and they don't. And they don't. So you don't have to say, I'm, 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 stop, I'm not going to be, I'm going to stop being a Christian. You just have to just obey man more than God and you stop being a Christian. You don't have to say it. It's this here. I will, he will never leave me nor forsake me. Listen, the, when the righteous is absolutely consumed with God's word and wants to live it. When you're pursued and persecuted for doing something that is not only right, but godly and truth. There's nothing wrong. What's, you tell me, what is wrong with singing to our God? Tell me. Let's just ponder on that for a moment. Anything wrong with singing to our God? Nothing wrong at all. 
but we can have crowds in a football field cheering for a ball that goes over a line. And then we can have VIP passes for those kind of people. But we can't have a handful of people in a local area, probably a couple of times a week, as they meet together and assemble together, praising their God. You know what my Bible tells me? Not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, as some do. As some do. But what does it say? But, in, but what? Exhorting one another so much the what? More. Not less. As you see what approaching. So what are we living for? The day's approaching. We're coming to a head. Bible prophecy is coming alive in our generation like we've never seen it before. And it's not time for the Christian to sit down and, and, and wonder how we're going to go through life and what we're going to eat and what we're going to do if we don't obey the government. This. No, it's time to say, I want to worship God in the midst of an un ungodly and crooked generation. And if you do that, you'll be pursued. Oh. Like we're a bunch of criminals. Like we've done something wrong. But McDonald's 24-7 operating. Bunnings. Mate, you go to Bunnings car park and you see the cars there. Costco. My whoa. Somehow, somehow the virus stays away from these places. I haven't seen McDonald's close down, have you? I haven't seen, uh, you know, Bunnings closed down, have you? Or maybe the one in Sydney, but they had to just make it, you know, blend in with what was taking place there because it was too obvious. But no, little churches closed down, pursued. Why? Well, we can learn from David. Fret not. Fret not because of evildoers that prosper in the way and their agenda is simply taking place. Just don't worry, just fret not. Trust, commit, delight, obey. All the things that we learnt today. Just do them. Is that too hard? Just do them. But what if I'm, I'm pursued? David, David, I'm young and old. God's never going to leave you. Never going to. Try it. Try it. You're going to have the government there saying, hey, that's all right. I'll, all right, I'll make up the difference. I'll give you what's lacking. No, thank you very much. I'm going to honor the Lord and God will take care of me. God will look after me. God will never forsake his own. God will never forsake his people. God will never forsake those that are walking uprightly. David can testify of that. A man that knows what it means to be pursued by ungodly behavior. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Keep his way. Do good. And God will take care of you. He will. Just do it. Just trust him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.